Hey Drinkinators, welcome back to Drinks and a Show. I'm Cassie. Don't worry, I didn't forget about you all. It's been a little while, but I'm back now. I did release a little mini episode not too long ago about the musicals that came out in September. Make sure to give that a listen. To keep up to date with what's going on in the show, just follow Drink Show Pod on Instagram and Twitter. And there's also a Spotify playlist, which I listen to like every day which has all my favorite songs of the shows I've done episodes on so far. So a link to that will be in the episode description or in the link tree on the aforementioned social medias. Now, I know what drew your attention to this episode today, and it's probably the weird name of it being called SVU. And a lot of you are probably thinking, a Law and Order musical? What? That sounds awesome. Or some of you are like, huh? How does that become musical? No, it's not law and order based. It's called marketing, guys. That's how you get the people to listen. So I've got SVU standing for Shakespeare version updated. So it's not as catchy uh, when you say it out loud. So that's why if you just shorten it to SVU. Sounds a lot better though, doesn't it? So when I say Shakespeare version updated... It means that I'm going to talk about musicals that are based off the storylines from Shakespeare musicals. So there tend to be multiple ones for just the one play that Willie has written. So I'm going to just compare them. I'll go through what the heck happens in the Shakespeare one and then a few of the other musicals and shows that are also based on it and how it's different, but not in like a analyzing kind of way, just in like a little fun drinks at a show kind of way so for all you lit fans don't expect any kind of juxtapositioning and that kind of fancy essay sort of things that you'd put in a academic kind of way. So today's episode is going to be on Romeo and Juliet probably the most well-known Shakespeare play It's a classic love story of two star-crossed lovers coming from families who hate each other. And how does it end? Not happily. And for those who do not know what happens in Romeo and Juliet, huge spoilers about to come right at you. I'll first go into some facts about William Shakespeare and also Romeo and Juliet. It was first performed in 1597, so it's coming up to its 425th anniversary just next year. Congrats, Willie, for being able to last that long. There were words and a bunch of quotes that he also invented. So an example would be what I said earlier, star-crossed lovers. So meaning that the stars aren't really in their favours and it's most likely not going to end up well. There is also the classic line, which I'm sure we quote all the time. I bite my thumb at you, sir. Or however it's worded, that's not verbatim. So that's like instead of sticking your finger up at someone that we will do these days, you bite your thumb at them. So we should totally bring that. Like if you agree. The words ladybird was invented and uncomfortable was also a word first used in Romeo and Juliet. Which what I find crazy is like he invented words that we use every single day. And 
if I went back into like 1597 and saw the premiere of Romeo and Juliet and they're saying like, where for out thou Romeo and speaking in that ye old English kind of way, like I would have no idea what they're saying. But as soon as like the word ladybird or uncomfortable comes up, I'll be like, hell yeah, boom. Know exactly what he means there. Meanwhile, the people who, you know, come from the 1597 feel the opposite. They're like, huh, uncomfortable? What the heck does that mean? So yeah, I don't know if that's an interesting thought, but it's just something I've thought about. Um, what else? What else is interesting about it? The two rivaling families, Montagues, Montagues and Capulets. Uh, yeah, for those who haven't picked up on it, you've come this far. Her name is Juliette Capulet. Uh, it was not actually originally created by William Shakespeare. There are actually two families that were mentioned in a poem 250 years before Shakespeare was even born in a poem written by Dante. Never heard of him. I'm sure his work's great. Uh, the poem was called Divine Comedy and it took him 10 years to write. 10 years. I don't know about you guys, but just doing one semester of poetry in English kind of sucked for me. I'd hate to spend 10 years on writing it. Also, the story of Romeo and Juliet not original, not originally written by William. For all I know, this is all like stuff that you guys already know about and it's just news to me because I've actually looked into it and maybe you guys were taught this like we were in year 10 when um, we had to study it. But Romeo and Juliet is actually based on another poem called The Tragical History of Romeo and Juliet by Arthur Brooke. But that doesn't stop there. So rumor has it that that was translated from an Italian novella by Matteo or Matteo Bandello or Bandello, not sure. And another rumor is that came from a French adaptation of the Italian one. So it's just taking inspo from other things, but it's like when someone does a cover of a song, kind of like Whitney Houston's I Will Always Love You, how that's a cover of Dolly Parton's song, but that became more popular than the other one. So that's some surface level fun facts for you all. So for all of those out there who don't remember what happens in Romeo and Juliet somehow, or you've gone your whole life up until now to not knowing what Romeo and Juliet is about, I'm about to tell you. So it is based in Verona, Italy. We have our two rival families, the Capulets and the Montagues. They hate each other and it's just an ancient long feud. It's never actually discussed why they hate each other for all I know it might be in Dante's poem it might say it it starts off with a fight between the two families so the guys are all fighting Prince of Verona not happy with it says stop it or else you banish or I might kill you well execute you is a way a royal is allowed to kill people the Capulets are planning a party so that their 13 year old daughter Juliet can meet and be betrothed to the count who is named Paris who is about 25 years old so about 12 years difference there for those who are aware of the Baz Luhrmann movie that character is played by Paul Rudd so obviously if Juliet wasn't 13 a bit older a bit more age appropriate she'd be a lucky gal so the plan is just to meet him and be betrothed they're not actually planning on getting married Juliet's dad is nice enough to say sure you guys can meet and then in two years you get married so at least she won't be 13 she'll be 15 when they are to marry 
The Montagues hear about this party. So Romeo, who isn't quite 25, but isn't 13 either. I think he's only a couple of years older than Juliet. Him and his two besties, Benvolio and Mercutio, decide to head to the party in disguise. And Romeo wants to go there because his crush, Rosaline, is there, who he's tried to pull the moves on and she's rejected him, but he's going to, like, win her back. And for those who don't know, Rosaline is actually Juliet's cousin. So that's a fun fact, the niece of the Lord Capulet. Unfortunately, oh, well, fortunately, but... Overall, unfortunately, Romeo ends up bumping into Juliet and falling in love with her. Love at first sight, you may say. Juliet's cousin, Tybalt, 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 sees the Montagues and gets them kicked out straight away. He originally wants them dead, but Lord Capulet says no blood shed at this party, or however <laughs> it's said in the play. And then that's act one. We go into act two where we have Romeo, oh Romeo, where for out thou Romeo? Juliet is saying out her bedroom window and Romeo is for out thou in her courtyard right out the front. They declare their love and say they're going to marry the next day. So the next day, Juliet gets help from her nurse to set up a secret meeting with the Friar Lawrence and they get married. The Friar is all up for it because he just wants the rivalry between the two families to stop. So he's more than happy to do anything that will help that. Later that day, because guys, this is over the space of like a few days, the whole play. Tybalt decides that he's still mad at Romeo for crashing the party. So he challenges him to a duel which Romeo now sees him as family. So he's, no, I surely can't duel thee. And Mercutio goes, don't worry about it, bud. I'll challenge him on your behalf. And this results in Mercutio getting killed while Romeo was attempting to break up the fight. And then Romeo, so sad about his bestie being killed, ends up going into a rage and killing Tybalt. So I've just realized that there's five acts in this. So I'm not going to say when one act begins and one act starts because I didn't write it out like that. So yeah, Tybalt's killed. The prince who at the start of the play told them to stop fighting says, guys, this is unacceptable. And he exiles Romeo and says, if he ever tries to come back again, he's going to be executed. So his last night in Verona, he sneaks into Juliet's room. They consummate the marriage. Lord Capulet, Lord Capulet decides that Juliet is going to marry the Count and the time is actually brought up. So it's not going to be two years anymore. It's going to be like in the next couple of days. Juliet refuses and her dad threatens to disown her. She decides to visit the friar for help who comes up with the great idea that she takes this potion where it makes it look like she's dead for two days and that well, for two and 40 hours. And the friar says he'll get the message to Romeo that that's what's going to go on. And while her whole family thinks she's dead, by the time Romeo shows up, they can run off and be together. So she takes it on the night before the wedding, which I guess was the next day. The family find her dead and they chuck her in the family crypt. The messenger was not able to get to Romeo in time, but he was already told by Balthazar, who was a servant from his family, who heard that Juliet was dead. So Romeo goes, well, that makes me very upset. I'm so mad about this. I'm going to go join her. So he buys poison and goes to the crypt so he can take it there and be with Juliet. Count Paris is there at the crypt mourning the loss of his dear fiancée. 
and Romeo is there and well Romeo shows up and the Count thinks Romeo is there to be an absolute asshole and vandalize the crypt and be really rude so he goes how how dare ye be here and they get into a fight and Romeo ends up killing the Count and he goes okay now that that's done time to be with Miguel he drinks the poison but what would you know it Juliet finally wakes up from her potion and sees that he is dead she goes oh man the guy I love he's gone what's the point in living now and she takes a dagger and stabs herself and joins him in death all the three bodies are found which imagine being so confused you already thought your daughter was dead and you go into a crypt and she's being stabbed which makes you think I guess the friar would have told them it was because they were in love like they wouldn't just be like oh that's weird Romeo just came in and re-stabbed Juliet and the count because that's what my first thought would be if I hated the other family but the result of their death is that the Montagues and Capulets decide to end their feud and now get along together because as they can see it harms those who shouldn't have been dead in the first place so yeah that's the story of Romeo and Juliet for those who want to know of like a what if I did do the musical and Juliet which is a jukebox musical currently on the west end episode 23 go and check that out to see what would have happened if Juliet decided not to stab herself the three musicals that I have decided to choose to be related to Romeo and Juliet we've got West Side Story that's a huge classic Lion King 2 which might be controversial the best Lion King and should actually be the one that is on Broadway and last one is one that randomly came across called Romeo and Bernadette so I'll get into the similarities and differences I'll start off with West Side Story for those people who are huge fans of West Side Story you're probably looking forward to the remake that's getting released at the end of this year in December by Spielberg so all you cinephiles probably love that too and I know if you're a cinephile you're listening to this podcast or you can also watch the 1961 original movie. West Side Story is a musical where the book was written by Arthur Lawrence, music by Leonard Bernstein and lyrics by Stephen Sondheim came onto the Broadway scene in 1957, the West End a year later. It won Best Choreography and Best Scenic Design at the 1958 Tony Awards. So how awesome. I love hearing scenic design wins. Makes you wonder, oh, how good was that set design? You know, you really just want to see it. Speaking of Tony, that also happens to be the name of the main character. So instead of Romeo and Juliet, it is Tony and Maria. This is not based in Italy. It is based in the Upper West Side of New York. It isn't about two rivaling families. It's about two rivaling gangs. We have the Jets, who are the white Americans, and the Sharks, who are Puerto Ricans. And we have the police, who are pretty much the role of the prince, which tells them all to stop fighting. But we know in the story that's not really going to help. So I'll go into what happens in West Side Story. We have the leader of the Jets, who's named Riff, who challenges the Sharks to a fight at the neighborhood dance. And Tony, who used to be a part of the Jets, but he's gone straight. So watching Sopranos, going straight means that you're out of the the family business (laughs) and trying to just make money in a different kind of way. 
Riff manages to convince Tony, his BFF, to come and fight the Sharks at the dance. We have Maria, who has arrived from Puerto Rico for her arranged marriage with Chino, a friend of her brother, whose name is Bernardo, and he's the leader of the Sharks. So for just a quick rundown, Maria's brother is Puerto Rican, leader of the Sharks. Tony is not a part of the Jets, but used to be and still has connections with them. At the dance, there is a dance-off, so the only two that are not participating in it are Tony and Maria, and they both notice that about one another, and they start dancing with each other, and bam, they fall in love. Bernardo pulls his sister away from Tony, not happy with it, of course. The two gang leaders agree to meet for a war council at Doc's, which is the local drugstore also where Tony works. So it's neutral ground for both gangs to parlay. Is that how the pirates say it? Uh, just to have a little chat about where they're going to have their next fight. Tony goes and finds Maria's building. He serenades her singing the song Maria. And she comes out to the fire escape singing tonight, tonight. And they both say how much they love each other. The song America is sung by the Shark Gals and they're discussing Puerto Rico and USA. We have a few of them saying how much they would love to go back to Puerto Rico while there are others saying that they love America. At the War Council, they discuss their upcoming rumble. Tony suggests a fair fight, so no weapons, so no knives or anything like that, just fists, nature's, nature's weapons. <laughs> and they're like, cool, great. Bernardo goes, I want to fight you, Tony, but he won't. He got assigned to fight the second in, second in charge, second in charge named Diesel. Doc, who owns the drugstore, is told by Tony that he loves Maria and he goes, "Uh oh, I don't think that's going to end well for you, Tones. Hmm. The cops are aware of a rumble. They're not sure where it's going down, what time it's going to happen, but they want to stop it. Maria the next day finds out about the rumble and she tells Tony that he should stop it. He goes, yep, sure, okay, we'll do. And they sing about a dream wedding that they're going to have. The night the rumble is, we find out that it's under the highway. Tony tries to stop the fight between Bernardo and Diesel and Bernardo makes fun of Tony and pushes him. And Tony, who is still keeping his cool about the whole situation, but his bestie and gang leader Riff doesn't. He pulls out a switchblade that so goes against the rules and goes to fight Bernardo. And much like in the Romeo and Juliet story, Riff ends up dying, causing Tony to lose his cool. And then he kills Bernardo. So he kills Maria's brother. This causes a huge brawl. Between the two gangs, police sirens are heard and then they all disperse, even Tony with the knives that killed the two guys. And it's intermission time. So that's act one. In the actual 1960 movie, they even have like the intermission in it. It's pretty cool. Act two, Maria is singing I Feel Pretty, which all of us Adam Sandler fans remember him singing that song in Anger Management. She finds out from her betrothed, that oh, from her betrothed Chino so the one that she was meant to marry that's her like brother's mate that Tony killed Bernardo so when she next sees Tony she is so mad at him but then it's like oh I can't stay mad at you 
and they decide to plan and just run away from all this. There's another character, her name is Anybody's. She's a tomboy who keeps trying to be in the gang, but because she's a gal, the Jets don't let her. She says that she's been spying on the Puerto Ricans and she found out that Chino has a gun and he wants to go after Tony for killing Bernardo. And the Jets are like, oh boy, we got to go protect our boy Tony. Tony and Maria say, hey, let's meet at Doc's drugstore, okay? And we'll run away from there. Anita, who is Bernardo's GF, so she's now a widow, is sad about a boyfriend dying and sees Tony with Maria before he leaves. And she's so mad at Maria for being with Tony. And Maria is like, Anita, we are in love. And she goes, fair enough. I also love Bernardo, so I get it. Since I'm not mad at you, did you know that Chino has a gun and wants to kill Tony? And Maria goes, what? The police come to question Maria about her brother's death to see if she would know anything about it or who would want to kill Bernardo. And while that's happening, Anita whispers to like Maria and goes, hey, I'll tell Tony that you're a bit caught up at the moment and you'll meet up with him later, okay? Trigger warning just coming up, guys, for the next 30 seconds uh, regarding sexual assault. So the Jets find Tony, who is hiding at Doc's drugstore. They're there to protect him because they've also heard about the gun. Anita shows up with the good intentions to say Maria will be there. She's just held up a little bit. However, the Jets are absolute assholes and start throwing racial slurs at Anita and the group as a whole attempt to gang rape her. They're interrupted by Doc, who stops it from happening, who's like, what the fuck is wrong with you all? And Anita, who's distraught and furious about what they just tried to do to her and decides to tell them that Chino found out about Maria and Tony and he killed Maria. That's what she's done out of anger. Doc goes and tells Tony, hey man, Chino has killed Maria. Just letting you know. Sorry about that. So Tony, who feels like that, he's got nothing to live for, yells in the street saying, Chino, come get me, Chino. And begs Chino to shoot him because there's no reason for him to be alive. And just as he sees Maria, he goes, oh, Maria. But Chino arrives at the same time, shoots Tony. Tony dies in Maria's arms. The Jets are ready to avenge Tony's death against the Sharks. But Maria takes Chino's gun and tells everyone that all of them are the ones who killed Tony, not just Chino, because of their hate for each other. And now I can kill too because I have hate. So that's a result of what they're doing. She's unable to bring herself to actually fire the gun and drops it and cries in grief. The gang members from each side, the Sharks and the Jets, assemble on either side of Tony and his body. And we are shown that now the feud is over. The Jets and Sharks form a procession carrying Tony away together with Maria being the last one to follow them. So that's West Side Story, very similar to Romeo and Juliet, but also different because Maria is alive. So I'm sure that was a twist none of you all saw coming. And yeah, just a reminder, coming out in December this year, Spielberg's doing it. So hopefully that means it's going to be good. Now on to our next one. We have The Lion King 2 titled Simba's Pride. If you haven't seen the first Lion King, uh, that might have to be another episode for an SVU one. 
if you know, you know, am I right? Dragonators. Let's just say the backstory is Simba and his uncle Scar don't get along due to bad history and the murder of Simba's dad by his own brother. So the first Lion King had Tim Rice as the lyricist and Elton John writing the music. They weren't able to get them for this straight-to-video sequel, unfortunately. So the songs may not be as catchy as they are in The Lion King, but I just like this one a little bit better. So we're back in Africa. King Simba and Queen Nala have a daughter named Kiara. Much like Simba was in the first one, Kiara also hates being watched by a hawk by Simba's buddies, Timon, Pumbaa, Zazu... She ends up in the forbidden area known as the Outlands and Kiara meets a young cub named Kovu. They have a natural dislike for each other, what you do when you just meet someone you don't know. And they work together because they start getting attacked by crocodiles, then realize, hey, this isn't too bad. And they start to like each other and they have a little play. But then it's interrupted by Simba and Zira, who is Kovu's mum and the leader of the Outsiders. And this is where there is some exposition mentioned by Zira saying that Simba exiled her and her family after the whole fiasco with Scar in the first movie. And she reveals that Kovu is to be the successor of Simba's uncle and his enemy, Scar. Next part isn't really important, but it's a good song. We Are One will be added to the Spotify playlist. This is after Simba lectures Kiara about how the Outsiders are dangerous. In The Outland, Zero reminds Kovu that Simba killed Scar and exiled everyone who respected him. So just more little backstory. Kovu looks a little bit like Scar, but his brother Nuka makes sure to mention Scar isn't even his father. He just found him. So for any connection that Kovu and Kiara are feeling, don't worry, not blood related. So I think that's why they're mentioning it. Nuka is also really jealous of Kovu because he's the oldest, so he should automatically be the next in line to be in charge. But Scar preferred Kovu, so he chose him. Kovu says that he doesn't think it is a bad idea to have Kiara as a friend. And Zira misreads this and goes, oh my god, what a great evil plan. You should pretend to be friends with her. And then once you get in with them, you can kill Simba and we can return to Pride Rock. There's a little cutscene with Rafiki, who is a mandrill, who's kind of psychic, can see the future. And he gets told by Mufasa, who is Simba's dad from Beyond the Grave, spoilers for the first Lion King movie, that Kiara and Kovu are meant to be together. A few years later, Kiara, who is now a young adult, goes on her first solo hunt. Simba has Timon and Pumbaa follow her in secret, which isn't done successfully, so... She is like, screw you guys, I'm definitely going on a solo hunt and manages to escape them. Zero made a plan where Kovu's siblings, Nuka and Vatani, will cause a fire which will put Kovu in a position to save Kiara. Kovu is able to do this plan successfully, saves Kiara when they realize who one another is. Well, Kovu always knowing that that's Kiara. He tells her that he has left the Outlander group and he is now on his own. Simba is forced to accept this, but he's still a bit iffy about him and accepts that, okay, we'll let him in for a little bit because he saved my daughter, but he can't sleep inside the den with us. Nuh-uh. 
Simba is having dreams where he is getting attacked by Scar and then Scar morphs into the face of Kovu. So continuing his distrust of Kovu there. There is a chance where Kovu has a chance to attack Simba, but he's interrupted by Kiara and starts spending more time with her. They start growing close in a romantic way. Kovu becomes conflicted between his mission and his feelings for Kiara until Rafiki leads them to the jungle where he introduces them to be in Yupindi, which means love. And it's not like, you can you feel the love tonight? It's a bit more upbeat than that. And yeah, they end up with the help of Rafiki falling in love. That night, Simba allows Kovu to sleep inside Pride Rock with the rest of the Pride after being encouraged by Nala to give him a chance. While Simba is leading Kovu into Pride Rock, Vatani is watching from afar and goes, oh, this is perfect time. Come on, Kovu, get him, get him. But he doesn't use the opportunity to do that. So Vatani goes back, tells her mom Zira, and Zira decides to set up a trap for them. The next day, Kovu tries to explain his mission to Kiara, so he's trying to come clean. But Simba interrupts and takes him around the Pride Lands and tell him Scar's story. This is when the outsiders decide to attack Simba and they're like, thanks a bunch, Kovu. Our plan worked. We finally got Simba. And Simba realized that he has been betrayed, tries to fight them off and ends up managing getting away. Kovu does try to help Simba when he's getting attacked, but he's knocked away quite easily. He's no big lion. He hasn't been on the Pride Lands diet for too long. While trying to show off to his mum, and tried to make her proud of him. Nuka is like, watch me, mom, watch me. I'm going to get him. And he's trying to climb after Simba, which is up like, it looks like a dam. It's got like all the logs up above. So he tries to do that, but Simba was able to get away and the logs fall down and end up crushing Nuka and he ends up dying. Zero gets extremely mad at Kovu because he did nothing. And takes a swipe at him, gives him a scratch on his eye. So he's got a scar, just like his uncle. He turns on her and is like, well, okay, fine. If you're going to attack me, screw you all. Realizing that Pride Rock is heaps better than with all these people. Zero sees this opportunity now knowing that Simba is a bit injured, that she can go back to Pride Rock and take it over. Back at Pride Rock, we see Kovu, who is trying to plead Simba for forgiveness, but Simba just decides to exile him. And then we have songs sung by other African animals, giraffes, um, those things that jump around, gazelles, I don't know if that's what they're called in Africa, singing, deception, disgrace. I'll put that one also in the Spotify playlist for those who don't know (laughs) what I'm talking about. Kiara tries to get Simba to be better and he goes, nah, he's becoming like Scar and I got to be like my dad. And Kiara's like, you'll never be like Mufasa. And she ends up running away to find Mufasa. So she's well aware of the whole situation and still thinks Kovu is like a good guy, which he is in this situation. But it just still proves that she could easily be manipulated anyway. She finds Kovu, they're happy to see each other. Kiara literally has no concern or any questions about Kovu's intentions in the first place. She just trusts him completely. He says, come on, let's run away and start our own pride. 
She's like, nah, let's just go back to Pride Rock, try and fix everything. We see Zira and her pride coming up to attack everyone at Pride Rock in classic Lion King fashion. There's a thunderstorm happening at the same time. So while the two prides are attacking each other, Kovu and Kiara decide to get in between them and say, remember, we are one and that they're just like us. Zira is like, Vitani, get him. And she goes, no, they make an excellent point. Like here we are living in poverty and if this is an opportunity for us to get out of the Outlands, why wouldn't we do it? And Zira's really mad that her daughter would betray her and not do what she's told. So she goes to attack Simba, but Kiara jumps at her. They go rolling and a river below them is forming. Zira's hanging off the cliff, very Mufasa-esque. Kiara does try to help her, unlike what Scar did. But Zira is too stubborn and ends up falling to her death in the river below. Kiara goes back with the rest of the pride. Everyone is all happy now. They don't act like that. Anyone just died right in front of them at all. Simba says sorry to Kovu and welcomes everyone back to Pride Rock. Kovu and Kiara get lion married and it ends with Nala, Simba, Kovu, Kiara all heading to the tip of Pride Rock and roaring out to everyone. So it is a bit different to Romeo and Juliet, the fact that the people who died were not Romeo or Juliet, but it's two people that can't be together because of their families not getting along. So more of a happy ending. It is Disney. So what do you expect? Now on to the final musical, which probably could have also been an off topic. But while I'm here, we'll just do this one as well. Romeo and Bernadette, a musical tale of Verona and Brooklyn. So I'll give you the little blurb of this musical. You just thought he was dead? Romeo, that is. No, He didn't die when he drank that poison at the end of Romeo and Juliet because it wasn't poison at all, just a sleeping potion that put him out for a few centuries. And when Romeo awakens, he finds himself in 1960 Brooklyn chasing a girl he believes is his beloved Juliet. But no, it's not Juliet, it's Bernadette, the beautiful sassy daughter of a local mobster. Romeo finds himself aligned with the rival crime family and poor Romeo... It seems he's got what therapists would call a pattern. So is that enough to make you want to go see it? There wasn't much information out there of what Romeo and Bernadette was about. So I was nice enough all. I went out, went out, I was online, bought the script and gave it a whole read through. And it's actually pretty funny. There has been no cast album release, but I've been told by someone on the internet that they are planning on releasing cast albums soon because I believe they're trying to make their way to Broadway. So can't wait to hear what that is because just reading the script, I have no idea what the music's meant to sound like and I can't read music. So how does Romeo take this time traveling turn? It is because a Brooklyn guy went to see a play with his date and his date was too upset to continue the night with him, aka go home with him. So he's like, no, no, that's not where it ended. I'll, I'll tell you what really happens. And then he goes in to tell the story of Romeo having that potion, not really poison. And he slept for 400 years and woke up in the 60s. And that's where the story begins. Romeo wakes up in the 60s and 
we see Bernadette, who is with her mobster parents, Sal and Camille, and they're at an opera in Italy, so still in Verona. He woke up in the exact same city he was originally in. Romeo hears someone calling out, Bernadette, Bernadette, and he thinks her name is Juliet. He approaches her, tries to kiss her, but is stopped by her security guards, who punches him and leaves him be. Romeo waits for Bernadette outside her hotel, and he overhears that she is to be married in Brookland. So he decides that he will follow her back to that place and stop the wedding. He uses his ancient coins to pay for the taxi and the flight back home. It doesn't really discuss how he's able to do it without a passport. He mentions a lute, like as in the instrument, to a corrupt TSA agent who thinks he meant like the lute, like some illegal goodies. He goes, oh yeah, sure, fair enough. Head on through. Back in Brooklyn, we have the rival mob families, the Penzos, which is Bernadette's family, and the Del Cantos. There is a fight between the two members from each side, Tito, who is B's fiance, and Dino, who is the son of the boss of the Del Cantos. And Romeo got involved and made a fool of Tito, so now DeCanto likes him and offers him to help him find the girl who he loves. Romeo doesn't know where Bernadette is gone and also doesn't mention her name to Dino. So he isn't aware that it is the opposing mob family's daughter. News gets back to Sal, who, remember, is Bernadette's dad. So he tells Tito it's a bad idea going after Del Canto's son as it can start a war. And he doesn't want a war. No Mobster really wants a war unless it's necessary. Trust me, I know. I've seen The Sopranos, as I've mentioned before. Del Canto is happy to help Romeo after hearing he is from Italy and also saved his son. Lucky for them, finding Bernadette won't be too hard as that night also happens to be the Festival of San Valentino where brides-to-be go and get blessed. So Dino does a song where he teaches Romeo how to stop talking like thou hast thee and to now start talking in italian brooklyn english romeo speaks the words back to him in perfect english and dino goes no not like that so an example romeo will be like get me out of here and dino goes no it's get me out of here and he goes sure no and he goes sure so a very italian kind of way of speaking Romeo meets Donna, who is Bernadette's best friend, and she's charmed by Romeo, even gives him her number, which this means nothing to Romeo, has no idea what numbers are used for, phones never existed, they're a whole brand new info to him. But while this is happening, Dino is like, dang, this Donna chick fly as hell, or however they spoke in Brooklyn in the 60s. Romeo sees Bernadette and follows her back to her house. After impressing her mum, Camille, with his knowledge of her family history, she lets her in and he goes into the back of the house and sings a song of love to be, which is like the wherefore out thou scene in the original Romeo and Juliet. He climbs up to get a closer look at B and then tries to go in to kiss her and then all of a sudden there is gunshots and she is so mad. She goes, ah... Well, she's mad and scared. Also happens to drop her appointment book over the ledge. And Romeo keeps that and runs away. 
So the shots on Bernadette actually came from the Del Canto side. That was their revenge on Tito trying to attack them. And then it is revealed to the Del Cantos that Romeo is actually trying to seduce slash propose to Bernadette, the one from the opposing mob family. Tito is really mad that they took revenge, but like, okay, Tito, don't start it then. And now they reckon that Romeo was in on the plan to set Bernadette up to try and get shot. At least that's what Tito thinks. She asked Tito, would he die for her? Because that's the romantic thing that Romeo is saying to her. He goes, I'll do you one better. I'll kill for you. Let's get into the second half of this musical. So Romeo, after seeing in Bernadette's appointment book where she is, he decides to show up. So she's like at a wedding dress fitting and he's there to try and tell her I wasn't involved in the shooting. And by the way, can I tell you how beautiful you look and is trying to woo her? She gets him to sneak away before he's caught by like the security guards that are following her. Romeo gets away and Bernadette tries to have some girl talk with some Donna and ask if Tito's the right man for her. They sing about love. Donna is still waiting a call from Romeo, who she gave her number to at the festival just a bit earlier. Also, Donna hasn't seen Romeo with Bernadette, so she has no idea that that's their connection. Dino shows up and woos Donna. By doing the same things Romeo would do for someone like serenade them and take them to Brooklyn Museum. So this is what's happening in case you can't tell guys, in case it's not being too obvious. Dino is learning from Romeo how to be a more romantic sensitive type. And Romeo is trying to learn from Dino how to be a more modern like 60s kind of guy. When she is trying on her wedding dress she looks like Juliet from the start of the show so one that we actually seen in the actual show. Romeo appears again and says that's what she should wear and marry him. Romeo sings to her and is like, we shall meet at the tavern and then leave for Verona. That night is her rehearsal dinner. Romeo shows up and is like, well, are we on our way? And she tries showing him all the proof that she's just a gal from Brooklyn and no one that he should be in love with. He goes, yeah, and I'm just a guy from an ancient time but there is no lie in this and kisses Bernadette. But uh uh-oh, her fiancé Tito sees this. He punches Romeo out cold, says to Bernadette, do you know how bad it will look on me if Bernadette is seen with anyone from the Del Canto crew? And she sees this straight away that he doesn't care that another guy kissed her. He just cares that the other guy comes from the family they hate. We see a priest comes in, which causes Tito to hide his gun away and run away while the priest helps Romeo. Oh, did he have a gun? Did I mention that? He punches Romeo. Well, yeah, he also has a gun, I guess. Classic Tito, am I right? Romeo is in hospital the next day. Bernadette is asking her mum for relationship advice. Will her whole life just be Tito beating people up? And Camille's like, yeah. Pretty much, you've just got to try and tell him to get out of this lifestyle. That's the only way you can be happy. And we get an impression that that's what Camille wanted to do earlier as well. Del Cantos takes this injury to Romeo as a personal hit to their family because they've taken Romeo on like another son. And they plan to go after Sal on the day of his daughter's wedding. 
and Dino offers himself to be the person who does it. Romeo and Dino's dad say, no, I don't think this is a good idea. Tito's packing heat. So Tito's packing heat, which means he's got a gun on his wedding day. As we head into the finale, it's the wedding and Dino can take the shot at Sal, but he has Romeo's words in his head reminding him that all good in him will leave him if he decides to kill this man. And Romeo liked Dino for being a good guy. He didn't like him for his good marksmanship or anything like that. But not knowing that Romeo's words are already in his head, Romeo comes in and physically tries to stop Dino and makes a big deal about it. This draws everyone's attention to them. And Romeo goes, Bernadette, my love, we stopped a hit on your father. Dino is like, yeah, both of us, we did it. Donna realizes that Romeo is the one talking to B, and I'm sure that's a huge funny moment when she goes, huh, wait, who? You're talking to him? But we have Tito there who pulls the gun on Romeo to kill him. Bernadette takes the gun out of his hand and points it at everyone and goes, freeze everyone, that's it. I'm marrying someone who won't be in the business and will treat me how I deserve to be treated. So she says she's marrying Romeo. Tito decides to storm off and Sal's like, what the fuck? Who is this guy? Because Sal has never seen Romeo at all. And Camille's like, oh, I love him. He knows all about my family. And Sal goes and double checks with his daughter and is like, okay, are you sure you want to marry this guy? And she goes, sure do. It's like, all right, marry this guy. He's from Italy. Who am I to say no and stand in the way of true love? Dino stands next to Romeo as his best man and as they're about to kiss, Don Del Canto comes in with a gun. Sal pulls out his gun. Romeo says, here is the truth. I am the son of of Del Canto. But like, he's kind of like an adopted son, but the Italians like their family. So someone's your cousin, your brother, your uncle, you're all really close, but are you blood related? Most of the time, no. Sal tells him that the original hit on Del Canto's son was never made by him and they make up by ending their family feud. So it was all a misunderstanding because Sal's like, why would I do that to your son? And Del Canto's like, yeah, man, I know we hate each other and I thought that was a bit funny. He goes, wasn't me, man, totally Tito. So that ends with everyone all happy. Romeo marries Bernadette. We cut back to the original story where Brooklyn guy and girl who was just telling the story, making it up so that she could go home with him. She is very impressed with the story, gives him a kiss, and that's how that one ends. So, yeah, once again, kind of different, but still related on the Shakespeare versions updated, guys. I hope you really enjoyed this kind of episode, and I will try and think of more Shakespeare plays and musicals and shows because I kind of... Went a bit all over the place bad in Lion King 2 in there. Kind of a musical. It's a movie. So follow at Drink Show Pod on Instagram and Twitter. Check out that Spotify playlist for the songs I like for at least the first two of these musicals. And maybe when the Romeo and Bernadette cast album comes out, give that a listen and I'll add that to there too. Thanks for listening, everyone. Bye. <laughs>